I'd just like to cover a couple of things uh, today. Uh, First, while we are far from seeing this uh, tragedy come to resolution, obviously we're, we're very pleased as to what has happened and how uh, the demonstrations uh, have gone to, to, to date. Um, I say that because there's been a number of comparisons made to Madison and other cities that have had similar types of tragedies. And I, I want to point out that that's really not how we've been trying to compare ourselves to other uh, cities in this country. Um, one, we are part of an effort known as Cities United, which is specifically designed to address the great challenges in this country to ensure that young African American and Latino men are part of our economy, part of our educational system, and part of the, the success of, of this nation. Uh, secondly, in collaboration with that, we have joined President Obama's initiative, referred to as My, My Brother's Keeper. And third, Madison and Dane County are part of a consortium of about eight cities and counties around the country which are members of the local and regional uh, government alliance on race and equity as we work as a team to to deal with uh, the various issues of disparity, particularly regarding education, uh, arrest and incarceration, and and obviously uh, economic success. Uh, That's the standard by which we've been working and we will continue to work in the coming months and and years. Uh, The second thing I'd like to do is thank the family of Anthony Robinson for their statements and their contribution to the discussion this week, particularly yesterday, with their message that they appreciate the show of support for young Anthony's life and that they do not want to see it turned into an anti-police effort. Uh, This has been very trying on all of us in, in, in the city of Madison, not the least of which has been the police department and, and the men and women of one of the finest organizations in the country one that's demographics uh, reflect the makeup of our community, one which has been headed by several chiefs over the years who have been national, nationally recognized for their efforts in community policing and really set a cultural standard for uh, the city of Madison and, and many other communities. With that in mind, I think it's so critical that just as we are careful in not castigating uh, young Tony's life or bringing up anything that might have happened in his past, I think it's critical that we not prejudge uh, what may 
come from the investigation and, and the report. Um, like the rest of you, I do not know the status of the investigation, how far it is from conclusion. Obviously, uh, we do not know uh, what the findings and recommendations may be. But I think it's, it's very important in this, in this country that we, we abide by our uh, historic respect for the law, for the Constitution, in, in being fair and waiting for all the evidence to come in before coming to any conclusions. So with that, I just, uh, that was short. Uh, I've never been that short in front of so many cameras. Uh, I'll be glad to take any questions. What's the environment, the tension like in the city right now? What has this incident done to this community? Well, there's, there's no question. It's, it's been uh, devastating. It's been very hard, particularly for young people under the age of 20, 22, who with the exception of perhaps a personal tragedy in their families, um, this, this has may well be uh, the most difficult uh, tragedy that, that they've encountered. Um, as I said yesterday, um, I don't think it's necessary for me as mayor to set any standards for behavior of demonstrations. I think that the vast majority of those who've participated have made it very clear what the community uh, expectations are. Mayor, can you describe um, what happened yesterday with the cyber attack that was announced happened on the city related to this? The, uh, the the city and the county are jointly uh, working off the same system. There was a cyber attack. Our security people are uh, monitoring it. They're working on it. Uh, as of as of now, I've got every confidence that they and law enforcement will be able to handle it. We have pulled back some of the online payment accounts dealing with water bills and dog licenses uh, simply because we don't want to open any doors. Do you believe at this point that uh, Anonymous has taken responsibility for this? And are you I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that um, I don't think we can speculate uh, as to who, who's behind it. Um, in terms of continuation as, as a government that has uh, always the, the question of security in mind uh, we're always prepared uh, if something like this occurs. You know, has it affected city services in terms of um, response times, either police or fire response times? I do not believe so. Uh, if it had, I believe I would have been informed if there had been any challenges. Can you tell us exactly what the nature of this attack was? What happened? Uh, was it some kind of It's what's called a denial of service. Of service. Uh, where you, the, the attacker just floods our servers trying to bring the system down. Um, our internal communications have been working just fine. Were you surprised that this 
that this happened, that this took place? No, we've seen it before. Are you worried because, you know, if this video that's been released is to be believed, they're saying unless things change, unless an arrest is made of an officer, we're going to further this attack? We are always concerned. So is the system up and running again at this point? Yes. Aside from the online payment accounts? The system is working. But the online payment accounts are still? We froze those. We've closed those. The initial police radios from Friday night seemed to indicate that this was a call for a young man acting in some kind of an odd fashion. He was acting erratically. Is there more that the city and the community should be doing to help people in distress before it turns to deadly force? Well, you're giving me a real challenging question because you've hit something that I've been hammering away at for some time. And I don't want this to at all reflect on Anthony Robinson. Just recently, we've done some analysis. Unfortunately, the way police and fire calls are collected, we don't have a methodology to determine what portion of them are related to substance abuse or maybe related to any kind of mental impairment. That said, it may well be that with our department and any department in the country, if you think about it, well over 50% of the calls. Now, the obvious calls that we can think of, for example, are in fire where you get a call for a transport for detox. But as we've reviewed, for example, a number of our household fires in the past year, a significant number of them are individuals who were impaired, either smoking or trying to prepare a meal under bad circumstances. A lot of our domestic abuse calls are certainly related to these kinds of problems. And I attempted to address that yesterday in another setting where when you look at the history of treatment and dealing with these issues, we've seen such significant cuts at the federal and the state level that it's no wonder that we have so many people, for example, who are homeless and not being treated. I think this is a real challenge. And in this day where you've got mammoth cuts coming in these areas at both the federal and the state level, those of us at the municipal level are left to deal with the challenges. And that's why for a younger generation, it's hard to explain to them that 30, 40 years ago, whether you're talking Madison or Los Angeles or our nation's capital, you would not have seen so many homeless people, so many people under such challenging circumstances. And we're a little off subject here, but you raise the question, and it's something that I'm deeply concerned about. Going off of that question, 
incident has brought up talk of racial bias in our police force, but yesterday Chief Koval talked about how people calling into 911 may have that racial bias. What's your take on that? Well, I can't speculate about what happens with callers, except that it's a reminder for everyone in our society that they have a responsibility in their own behavior not to prejudge. Our department has gone through extensive training on bias, and it is an ongoing need to keep that training current and to work on it. I was just discussing this with former Chief Noble Ray this morning, and he pointed out some of the activities of the department over the last 20 years that he thinks ought to be brought out so people understand what we do. And if you check with Joel Despain down in the police department, he can share that with you. You said you talked to Chief Ray this morning. Did you reach out to him to talk about how to handle it? He and I have been talking for the last couple of days. And what's the nature of that? I mean, do you feel like there's a message? What we're both working on is how do we deal with some of the larger issues, the issues of what I was discussing earlier, the plight of young African-American men, some of the real tough challenges that we've got to recognize, the gang shootings that may occur from time to time, the challenges in the criminal justice system. People have asked me, is there bias in the Madison Police Department? That's the wrong question. The bias and disparity is in the entire criminal justice system. If we take five young white men and five young African-American men, and we find that all ten of them should encounter some kind of arrest, as you know, we've been talking about our 12 critical arrest points here in Madison, the four high schools, the four bus transfer points, and four big box discount type of locations. What happens with those young white men is they're going to have a likelier opportunity to stay out of the criminal justice system, to get into some kind of divergent program, to get help or treatment because of family resources and income. And it's statistically less likely that's going to happen to those young African-American men. And so once that occurs, that differential, the probability of recidivism and more activity with law enforcement increases. And now we get these tremendous disparities that pile up in regards to arrest. Now here in Madison, we've got the recent South District Juvenile Peer Group, where we're trying to keep some of the kids out of the judicial system as an experimental basis. We've also been working with our municipal court judge in this regard. Unfortunately, because of lack of resources, in terms of public commitment, 
activities like the really wonderful uh, NIP program, the Neighborhood Intervention Program that Dane County operates, that's reserved for kids who've been repetitive in their behavior. we got to reach a lot of these kids prior to that point. Complaints by this uh, this group, uh, Young, Gifted, and Black, I'm sure you've heard from them in the last several days that uh, the police here, and hopefully the police can answer this for us as well, but that the police here are just too aggressive in the African-American communities. They're too aggressive in the, in the, in the, yes. ba- in the worst, in the bad neighborhoods, and they're, they're reactive in the better neighborhoods, and they're too aggressive in the poorer neighborhoods and uh, are looking this, for this This goes to the data point that I, I just uh, reiterated, which is the arrests do not take place in the neighborhoods. The arrests take place outside of the neighborhoods. We've... We've done the analysis. Uh, that's that's conclusive. Um, the, the distribution of resources is, is equitable. The, the real challenge is what happens. Uh, and by the way, what, what, what are these arrests for? Well, in the high schools and the bus transfer points, they're usually for, for something related to fighting. Um, in, in, the, in the retail establishments, it may be shoplifting. But let's, let's be clear about this. Um, the department resources are evenly distributed, and we are getting tremendous feedback from all the neighborhoods where we've got community policing. I mean, one thing is very clear. Commuting, community policing works, it's successful, and we are not backing off of that especially uh, under criticism that's, that's based on faulty information. When you say it's taking place outside the neighborhoods, what does that mean? That they're not arresting people inside these poor neighborhoods? I'm not the, sure. the physical activities that lead to the arrest are at these places like the high schools, the bus transfer points, uh, the retail establishments. Do you expect city elders to push for any policy changes in the next few weeks? I hope they do. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hoping uh, to see some changes in line with where we had the confrontation over the budget in, in November. Um, I mean, I, I really hope I can get the support to continue working on the neighborhood center initiatives, uh, particularly uh, the one at Darbo Drive, uh, our, our commitment at uh, the old Griffs, where we've got to staff up for the employment program. And I'd like to do something in the Brentwood area, as opposed to advancing the uh, police station and the fire station. So that's... that's And and nothing about changing police policy or... The only thing that we've got currently under review is, is the body cameras. You've been opposed to those in the past. No. Yeah. No, I've been, I've been cautious about them. And there's, we have to understand there are significant uh, numbers of people in, in Madison and elsewhere around the country who've got reservations about body cameras, uh, specifically as it affects uh, immigrant communities, 
and as it affects battered women. And they're, they're very concerned about this being an inhibitor uh, in regards to people calling the police and uh, 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 utilizing the officers for safety. Does this even make you more open to body cameras? The, the, the study, the initiative we've got going will continue and we'll get an answer in the coming months. But do you believe that this officer was wearing one, that this might... I can't speculate on that. I can't do a what if. So there's a study right now? On, yes. Uh, yeah. Can you walk us through that for people that maybe aren't local? Um, we've we've got a group that'll be doing the study. We're in the process of finding a outside party to be the administrator of the study, and our goal is to have the results back during the summer, so that we've got the results in time for formulation of the 2016 budget. What exactly are you studying? Uh, everything, everything from costs of acquisition to uh, cost of storage to the technical quality and the usefulness of the cameras under various law enforcement situations. Didn't NPD sort of do this already? I mean, they did their own. There was a staff study. Uh, but there's not one. This one is far more extensive. To clarify, we're not local. The police here have never used body cameras? No, they've not. They've got uh, cameras and squads. And the squad soon, cars. Is that soon enough, that study? I mean, after this incident, there very likely could be a call that police need body cameras and we need to see what are, what's going on in the situation. We've got a timetable that the council adopted. And if we're going to do it right, uh, I think there's agreement that we, we we can't be sloppy and rush this. And that timetable, again, is you hope to have the administrator for the study? We're working on contracting with the administrator right now. We were working on it uh, just over two weeks ago. And you hope that the study completed as you begin deliberations? We want, we want it completed with recommendations before we go into the 2000. 16 budget adoption. That begins this fall? Budget adoption starts in September, finishes in November. Okay, thank you very much.